0: The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
1: and welcome to the liberty hour on informed life radio brought to you by informed choice washington Are you a member of Informed Choice Washington? Are you in Washington state? Um, If you're not yet a member, please go on over to informedchoicewa.org, sign up to get our free newsletter uh, to hear from us. We've got a great Substack page that um, I tell you, Bob Reynolds and and Gerald Broad put out, and I edit maybe a little bit, but those two put out the most amazing newsletter every week with in-depth information. Um, we're so grateful to the members of Informed Choice Washington who bring this hour of free speech the liberty hour to the airwaves of Washington state and through the beauty of streaming to all over the world here to CHD TV um, we can't do this for free this is a real radio station we're broadcasting on the wonderful KKNW so Please, if you can give us a little bit every month um, to help keep free speech alive. And while wow, this is really one of the last bastions of, of uncensored speech um, here on FMAM radio, and uh, we need to keep it going. We're gonna win this craziness. We're in the midst of this health, peaceful health revolution. As we discussed in the uh, first hour, really we have such power, the power in the purchase power of the purse, we can defund those who are out to harm us by simply stopping buying their products. Get healthy. That is the biggest revolution we can do. The biggest peaceful revolution is to take those steps to be healthy, live a healthy life. Tune into the radio, learn how to live an informed life. Um, as it were, so the first hour we had Stephanie of talking about the health um, uh, health impacts of glyphosate. Second hour, we've got her coming on talking about, oh, the political shenanigans going on with glyphosate. So first let's bring on Dr. Javier Figueroa, our uh, co-host. Hey, Javier.
0: Hey, how are you doing, Bernadette?
1: And I'm good. Isn't it so fun talking to, to Dr. Seneff? I mean, after years of just admiring her work um, to be so. having. Yeah, it's fun. Isn't it? <laughs> This is a great job. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I need to say that the views expressed are not necessarily those of KKNW, Informed Choice Washington, or CHD. We're not giving medical or legal advice. Um, we're just here to bring you conversation to help you explore the world, make informed decisions for yourself and your family. Um, and so uh, with that, let's welcome Dr. Stephanie Senef back to, to Live right. Radio. Hey! Um great so to be here. <laughs> so, so glad to have you here. Now, we do record the two hours separately that go on Rumble and such. So, so for people who didn't hear that first hour, I'm just going to say a little bit about your bio again, that mm-hmm. Stephanie Senef is a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence intelligence laboratory she received a bs degree in biophysics in 1968 ms and ee degrees in electrical engineering in 1980 and phd degree in electrical engineering and computer science but since 2011 she has really turned her interest back toward biology concentrating mainly on the relationship between nutrition and health and oh my goodness we are so grateful that she has done this because what what Stephanie Seneff has added to our understanding of what some of these commercial products are doing to undermine human health, and that explains the epidemic of certain ill health, um, where they're coming from. We owe a lot of that uh, to Dr. Seneff and her work. So thank you and welcome to the Liberty Hour. <laughs>
2: so great to be here, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so uh, again, so glad to have you here. So um, we talked about health in the first hour. And as a refresher, um, it's really fairly simple. Avoid any food that isn't certified organic, that isn't raised by your neighbor or yourself, that you know what went into it. And all of the very complicated health issues that are undermined when you expose yourself to herbicides and pesticides like Roundup, glyphosate, and all the components that go with it, um, all of that can be reversed, again, not giving medical advice, just, you know, information out there, by simply tuning back to nature and doing what um, nature's design needs or God's design needs, and you can find all that you need. It's simple, and yet it's one of the hardest things, I think, in life to do. Changing your diet, especially if you grow up eating certain foods that you've bonded with. Changing your diet is one of the hardest things for humans to do, don't you think, psychologically?
2: Yeah, it certainly is difficult when people get hooked on sugar to try to not eat sugar. I think they almost like an addiction, right?
1: It is. There was a book came out, I believe, in the 70s or 80s called Sugar Blues. Do you remember that mm. book? Mm. And it really described how sugar is processed an awful lot like another white powder called cocaine. Mm. And it's, it seems to be as addictive and harmful to health, only it's um, socially acceptable to consume and to be addicted to. <laughs> and
2: I will say it's a lot more harmful because of glyphosate, both because there's glyphosate in it and because glyphosate disrupts the way you metabolize sugar.
1: Mm-hmm. So glyphosate is in
2: a GMO sugar beets. It's Yes, and well, sugar cane is sprayed right before the harvest. And <clears> sugar beets, of course, are GMO Roundup Ready sugar beets. And then you have the uh, processed corn syrup, right, which comes from GMO Roundup Ready corn. So all the sugars are going to be contaminated with glyphosate.
1: Okay, so can you explain to us, we've got foods that we know, if they're GMO, we know there's a likelihood that they've been designed to resist herbicides and pesticides. So you know they're likely contaminated. But what you mentioned also is that even if it's not GMO, it's traditional seeds harvested food, in order to quickly harvest some foods like your grains and legumes, they're also sprayed with Roundup.
2: That's a very important point. In fact, I was surprised to find that the highest levels were showing up in non-GMO foods, and in particular oats and wheat and- uh, Mm barley, and then the, the legumes, you know, the chickpeas and the garbanzo beans and the lentils, very high levels in uh, certain samples.
1: And a lot of people are eating, especially like chickpeas, garbanzo beans, they're eating hummus, they're eating foods that they believe to be very good for them. And if they weren't loaded with glyphosate, it would be good for them.
2: Right. Yes. <laughs> Only right.
1: by organic, especially with certain products. There's probably and I will say the
2: honey, there was a paper on honey, um, all these honey samples from different countries. uh, And they had a big chart of the amounts of glyphosate that were found in these samples. And you could see all the samples that came from the United States had much higher levels than those from Mexico or even from Canada, they were lower. And so the honey is contaminated and the bees are dying. And I think the glyphosate is what's killing them. Along with the insecticides, but the glyphosate's a missed uh, uh, killer of bees.
0: And so that, that's an interesting and I think a, an appropriate segue because now we're starting to get into the politics of trying to hide information of how devastatingly uh, impactful these, uh, these chemical compounds are and the lengths that, you know, industry has gone to protect that or at least keep that hidden.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. So,
0: you know, in, in, in the work that you've done, Dr., Dr. Seneff, you know, there seems to be a lot of lobbying power to one, either keep the information away or two, to try and stop people from actually banning any of these compounds in the United States?
2: Yeah, there's tremendous lobbying by the industry to keep, uh, to keep these products on the market. And I think that's why the EPA can't, can't just can't see that glyphosate's toxic. They just can't see it, despite what I consider to be overwhelming evidence. And there's been tremendous number of papers coming out in the last few years showing glyphosate's toxicity in, in, in animal studies, and human studies. It's just been amazing. And I really thank Seralini for that because he had done a, a paper in 2012 um, where he showed he did this. He re- redid the study that Monsanto had done with rats. And only Monsanto stopped after three months and he just kept going. And he, he, he continued to poison them with glyphosate over their whole life. And after three months, they, they looked pretty good. You really couldn't tell the difference between the exposed group and the, and the uh, controls. But by the end of their lives, they, they were a mess. You know, They had liver and kidney damage. They had uh, reproductive issues. Um, the females had massive breast uh, mammary tumors. Was, yeah. And, uh, and if they had a rule. Uh, Monsanto had a rule back then. Uh, and I think they still have that rule. If you look for three months in the animal studies and you don't see any damage, you're good to go. So that's interesting,
1: you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's a good thing human lifespan is only three months, right? (laughs) Good grief. Yeah. Um, You know, let's start. You provided some wonderful resources for us to sort of examine in our conversation. Yes. Let's start by looking at this pretty famous uh, lawsuit. Um, I'm showing now an article. uh, This is about the documentary film that was made about this gentleman. He was drenched in a weed killer. Made by Monsanto in a workplace accident, and then diagnosed with cancer. And this is the um, the trial that uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. Uh,
2: yes, absolutely helped with, didn't he? Yes, okay. and 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 he actually gave a a blurb from my book where he gave me credit for helping him, which was true. I provided him with some studies to help him make a case for the glyphosate being toxic. So it was nice that he he wrote that on my book as a blurb.
1: Uh, <laughs> That is fantastic. I didn't really, I should have known that, of course, you were involved in helping with, with some of the research in the, in the background for this. Um, it's been a while since I looked closely at this, but during the discovery phase, wasn't it discovered that Monsanto, and that's why the jury got so angry, they knew how toxic it was and they hid it, and that was what was revealed. And that's why lawsuits are so important.
2: Right, that's right. And they got a, he got a lot bigger award for that kind of activity than he did for the actual damages that he incurred from having non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was like $300 million, something like $300 million that he was awarded by the jury. And it was eventually you know cut way back, but it still stands. And then his was the very first one that won, won the case. Monsanto had recently been sold to Bayer. And the Monsanto folks assured the Bayer folks, they said, well, we've had some lawsuits. But we've never lost; we've always won, and so therefore, don't worry about the lawsuits, right? And then, the, once they Bayer faced the lawsuits, they lost, and once they lost that one, there was a cascade, and now yeah. it's like over a hundred thousand cases are waiting in the wings. And Bayer has put out like fifteen billion dollars to try to stop the hemorrhaging, but it, it's still it's still a headache for them, and they haven't figured out. They've been trying to set up mm-hmm. legal rights to have to say every future there cannot be any future lawsuits as part of the deal, you know, that, that get us off the hook for the future and they won't do it. Fortunately, the lawyers are refusing to do that. So that's Good. been a battle going on.
1: So how how can you even consider asking no future lawsuits if you have not withdrawn your product from the market?
2: I know. I don't understand that at all. And thank God the lawyers didn't cave. I mean, people look at, oh, a lot of money we can get if we just agree to this thing. And Luckily, they didn't, you know. And uh, I think it's uh, my goal. One of my goals is to make it is to write papers that make it so clear that glyphosate is causing autism that we can start to win cases on autism because that will be game over. I think once it's proven, I believe it will be, yeah, beyond a doubt that glyphosate is the primary cause of the autism epidemic. It's game over. And and maybe even if it's not proven, if I just have enough evidence that people uh, create a firestorm. I mean, people Mm -hmm. are already. And it's really going to be the consumers, I think, who are speaking out and advocating, uh, giving the message out to other people that this stuff is really toxic, and uh, and and then eventually, because they've already decided, as far as I understand, Bayer has decided they're no longer going to sell uh, glyphosate in Roundup to the uh, to the American. Consumers to to the residential market, they're still going to be happy to poison the food, but they won't, you won't be able to go down to the hardware, you know, to the garden store and pick up a a bottle of Roundup to use on your dandelions. If you do, it won't be glyphosate in the future. And that's specifically in America because we're the ones that are causing all the trouble with these these, uh, lawsuits.
1: So they'll put something else toxic in there and then they'll have another 20, 30, 40, 100 years. Before the lawsuits catch up with them. Exactly.
2: They like. keep adding new poisons and just replace uh, something with something else that's equally bad and play the game again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to give a shout out to Vandana Shiva. And I don't know if you know Vandana Shiva, but she's an uh, advocate uh, from India and she's been wonderful. I, I know her personally and she's had, you know, she's written books and she's got, and there's a I um, I just learned there's an event coming up in Mexico city in March, um, and the countries from representatives from ten different countries are coming, and it's you know sort of a, a big a four day event. I have the dates down March twelfth to March sixteenth in Mexico City, and um, and they're going to be talking about you know regenerative agriculture and and uh, the seed safety because there's a whole issue with patenting seeds, all right. these uh, topics that she uh, is passionate about, and I think it's just great that Mexico City is hosting that because Mexico the government of Mexico has really taken a, a stand, a strong stand against glyphosate. And they're causing trouble to the US because they're, um, they've are they decided that starting at the end of March of this year, uh, no more glyphosate like, banned, they can't import it. And also they've lowered, they already had lower standards for how much glyphosate could be in the corn. And now they're gonna, they've made it even lower. Their standard is much lower than our standard how much glyphosate can be in the in the in the corn if you buy it from somebody else? So that's going to make our corn. Our 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 farmers will not be able to sell our corn to Mexico yeah. because it'll be contaminated with too much glyphosate.
0: Interesting. Good wow. for
1: Mexico. And I'm I'm ashamed of our nation for trying to force poisonous food on other nations. Yeah, and for
2: our nation is to trying people. to persuade, try really trying hard to get to get Mexico to back down on this. And they have not succeeded. So I'm really, really pleased with the Mexican government. Yeah.
0: And again, the, 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 big, the big involvement of uh, GMO in the United States and trying to push GMO out was basically a spearhead or at least a wedge to get all the, uh, the pesticides and herbicides out into the market. So it was a double whammy uh, stop when the nation said no GMO. And then what Mexico's doing, I think GMO, uh, Mexico's a ban on GMO as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. I know they they, they don't. They're very um, protective of their corn because they have these native corn crops. They don't want them to get mixed up because they'll actually their genes will mix and then they will no longer have their pristine corn that they yeah. really are proud of and really want to keep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been a factor as well. I, I'm so pleased with Mexico. And it's kind of embarrassing that because there was a study done by Canada and they, they measured if this was pre- uh, pressure under pressure from my friend Tony Mitra who's a Canadian citizen, but he's Indian descent, and he's a fighter. And he he pestered the Mexican, the Canadian government for many years and finally got them to test over 8,000 different food samples for glyphosate. The U.S. government has hardly measured anything. We're like, it's safe. We don't need to know. We know it's all over the food, and we don't care. That's our attitude. But but Canada had this. And so he produced a book called "Poison Foods of North, North America because what they found was that the imports from uh, Europe were much lower levels of glyphosate yeah. than, uh, than imports from the U.S. And, and Canada was pretty close to the U.S. actually. They were very competitive with us for high. That's why it's poison foods of North America. Mexican food came in right in line with Europe. So, you know, we think Mexican food, we, we worry about Mexican food, you know, having issues. It's the opposite. The Mexican food is healthier than our food. And that's really an embarrassment for a country as wealthy as we are, that we can't even come up with good food. Right.
1: So if I'm going to the grocery store and looking at produce, if it's a product of Mexico it's, and it's not organic, it's likely to have less residue of toxins
2: Absolutely. than and the it, one
1: grown locally.
2: I would totally pick the Mexican. If, if I had, was forced to get non-organic, totally to take the Mexican over the American. Even possibly organic, I might choose the Mexican as well because we've got so many much glyphosate around that you hardly can grow organic food in this country without it ending up with glyphosate in it.
1: Yeah. Well, well let's talk about that. That's another story that you uh, you provided for us to look at. I'll, I'll find that here in a sec, but it, it has to do with, what, what's the term where it drifts? You get drift. Drift.
2: Drift. And there's,
1: yes. and there's also the problem. I can but drift. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the- and that's interesting
2: too, because that goes back to glyphosate because they have had, so they've gotten all these resistant weeds, which is the reason why glyphosate usage has gone up uh, dramatically over time, almost exponentially over the past 20 years. And the, part of the reason for that is because the weeds got resistant. And so it became a point where they couldn't grow the soy crops. They had to use so much glyphosate, they couldn't, still couldn't kill those weeds, those resistant weeds. So now they offer a double product, a product that's both dicamba and glyphosate together in one product.
3: Oh, and God. then they
2: provided a GMO for the, for the soy crop to have resistance to both of those genes. So two different GMOs for two different poisons and put the two poisons on. And dicamba has this property of, of drift that is really, really bad because it'll go it'll very easily go to the neighbor's uh, crop and kill it. So there, was a, there were a lot of lawsuits that came out of that. It was quite a mess. I was following that was a few years back that it started, I think 20, 2017 or something.
0: Mm-hmm. maybe
2: even 2016 they they provided this gmo crop and they even provided before they had the product but they allowed them to just use the old dicamba product they had this mixture product that had both the dicamba and the glyphosate and they claimed that that product wouldn't drift but that wasn't true either so even when that product came out it was still causing trouble so there's a lot of farmers that have been suing them and and winning uh, in, in lawsuits um getting millions of dollars of, of reward for um for the, the damage that was done to their crop because they lived next door to a farm where the drift came into their fields.
0: Hmm. And be, So my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, GMO crop production using Roundup or Dicamba, um, when you actually look at it a pound for pound, it's really no more productive than traditional or regular uh, rotational crop or even uh, biodynamic farming systems. Is, yeah. Is it,
2: well, it's interesting because when it first came out, um, the farmers were really excited because it improved the yield a lot in that first year. And then but then year by year, it, the soil got worse and worse because glyphosate is really poisonous for the soil. It depletes the minerals. It, it actually kills the earth. It, it harms the earthworms. They get us kind of a Parkinson's disease, so they can't do their job <sighs> as well. And um, and then it it, it, uh, it messes up the soil microbiome. So all these right. things go bad with the soil. And it also makes the soil much more vulnerable to getting the topsoil gets washed off more easily in the rain because there's much less organic matter right. in the soil. So all of those factors make the soil every year worse and worse. And, yeah. and then the yield goes down. So it so it starts off really good, but then every year it gets worse. And, and meanwhile, the weeds are getting resistant as well. So it's not a. in the long term, it's not even going to be a successful product. I think the farmers are going to reach a point where they're going to figure the trade-off, you know, is not worth it right. for the money that it costs. And they'll and have to all- figure some w- other way to do it.
0: Right. And there's also this, there is a subsidy applied for using uh, these agrochemicals, correct?
2: Well, there's a subsidy for this kind of uh, GMO uh, farming. Uh, this kind of um, industrialized farming is encouraged. And the large, huge farms, you know, that you can do when you can just spray them with glyphosate instead of getting people to pull out the weeds by hand. The government likes the fact that that produces cheap food, which is true, you know. Right. It's easier to manage the weeds. I am actually excited about the possibility of actually using my field, you know, robotics. I mean, not, I'm not in robotics, but basically computer science. Uh, there's this, this Monarch tractor that's being developed. Um, that's a, a, a cute little tractor that is, um, yeah, so, solar energy. It uses mm-hmm. solar energy and it has vision and it can learn to recognize what the weeds look like and then it can hit them with boiling water, you know? So there's ways you could have the robot just drive around in the fields looking for weeds and shooting them with water. And I think that's just really, really cool. So I I hope that, yeah, we can eventually, you know, we don't like to have to have labor devoted to pulling weeds. It's not a fun job and nobody wants to do it and it takes you away from other things. And part of the thing with, I've noticed with them in the world when a country becomes in, uh, industrialized it often is hand in hand with finding a way to grow the crops without using human labor so you free mm-hmm. up all those people to go do the development of the um, technology
1: mm-hmm.
2: you can have more people developing technology because you have fewer people on the farm right and that's a trade-off but in the meantime you're poisoning all your you have a huge expansion mm-hmm. of the number of people who are involved in healthcare because you've got all these sick this sick population because of all the poison so it's it's interesting how things shift over time as a consequence of these policies. Yeah. And I
1: think, well, I was just going to say, you've hit on one of the key problems here is the economic model that we're living under now. Um, Companies are getting mega rich by keeping us exactly, you know? Um, And that's a massive problem.
2: It is. It, (laughs) it, it, It suppresses me no end about pharmaceutical industry and how they've got us and they feed us these toxic pills, actually, to treat the, yeah. our sickness that came from the toxic uh, food that we ate. And it's just a mm-hmm. nice cycle for them to just stuff their po- pockets. And it's the same companies, right? You know, Bayer mm-hmm. makes the pharmaceutical drugs and makes the glyphosate. And uh, they poison you. And then they feed you pills to try to fix some of your symptoms. But the pills don't actually fix your problems. <laughs> they just, make, <laughs> in many cases, make them worse, I think. Right.
1: Right. Well, it's like, you know, uh, the MRNA shots by Pfizer create, um, condition known as alopecia. Is that it? Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. And then during COVID they went and spent, I don't know, a billion dollars or something, buying a company that makes a a new
3: drug to treat (laughs) alopecia. So there you
1: go. It's, you know, you just problem solution, problem solution is what they do. And actually it yeah, they create the problem and then um it's it's very concerning. I I wanted to share with everybody again. Uh oh wait, that's not the right one. I'll come back to it. I wanted to share um Moms Across America that we talked about earlier with Zen Honeycut when you mentioned um that cool little robot tractor that could blast it with boiling water. I so love that. She is I her approach is um Don't offer a problem without a solution. Mm, And when I met her years ago when she was out in Washington State uh, touring, she had all this literature on these um, different portable hot water dispensers, sprayers to, Mm. to kill the weeds that you could go to your local parks department and say, don't spray with the pesticides just use the these hot water sprayers non-toxic you can beautify the area and it's safe for kids and pets or whatever so I love that and and then earlier uh Dr. Senef, when we were backstage we were talking about that you wrote a novel you you yes I did (laughs) to to dramatize years ago um what you were going through in your discovery you know um investigation into all of this I would love to find to see somebody write and maybe made into a movie, a utopian novel Mm. with with us doing everything we know how to do right, where we Mm. would cute tractors spraying for weeds and, you know, everything organic. I mean, if, if we started, if we had a society that, that we began first addressing the building blocks of health and, you know, And then from there, we would add as needed, maybe some highly scientific interventions. But the fact that people are becoming ill because they don't have the building blocks of nutrition anymore, and then you're dumping more poisons on top of it to try to address the symptoms of all that. It's just, I wanna wanna see this, this utopia Maybe I want to move to this society. So maybe somebody, we we need to get together and build this society. Um, All right, do it right here in my home. Okay, enough. (laughs) I'm squirreling. Everybody's going. My listeners are no Bernadette squirreling. So I am squirreling. I'm going to let my guests and co-hosts speak here now. Um, So do you see that anything can be done, um, Dr. Senef? with the current infrastructure we have now with the oversight agencies acting as they are, um, how do we how do we fix the fact that poisons are licensed and it takes decades or longer in order to get them pulled? Yeah, I mean when you see like
2: European uh, Union just went through a whole process of renewing glyphosate and, and they've had struggles, you know, and they had they they used to renew it for like 10, 15 years. And I know the last time they did, it was a very short leash that they renewed it, but they said, we're gonna re-examine. And now they've already just now gone through this re-examination. And there was a tremendous effort on the part of uh, people on my side to try to stop the glyphosate. And they did not succeed because the industry is so powerful that they were producing these brochures that said how wonderful it was and how of course, you know, food security, right? We won't have enough food on the table if we can't grow it cheaply and all this kind of stuff. And um, and they got scared and they just renewed it. So it, there's growing awareness of the toxicity of glyphosate, but somehow that's not enough to convince them that they need to get rid of it. It, it mm-hmm. frustrates me that they don't see how how dangerous it is, and they're well, willing to just keep on selling the poison.
0: There you go, and there's also the the collusion between uh, big industry and also the uh, um, some of the military grade psychological systems that they've developed for convincing people, scaring them about some Mm -hmm. of these these conditions. And it's not, well, I shouldn't say military. It's the private consultancies that have taken advantage of the largesse of taxpayers, both in the United States and in Europe, that have then sold off these technologies and programs into the private sector, into the hands of these corporations that can sway large tracts of the public into voting against their best interests.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a kind of a brainwashing and it's yeah. based on fear. And there's kind of like the fu- the price of food is gonna skyrocket and mm-hmm. we won't be able to grow enough food because it's, it won't be efficient. You know, these kinds of arguments that we can't really live without these poisons. We have to put these poisons on our food in order to survive. And that is just not true, but mm-hmm. it can't be true. You know, I mean, we lived for how many, you know, millions of years without these poisons we did fine, right?
0: Yeah, and how how did India feed its growing population uh, without these uh, these toxins in their food supply? Yeah, they they thought their way through and they innovated their way through.
2: Right. So, uh, and, and you know we're smart enough to be able to solve. Like I said, some of these uh, techniques we can use with robotics could really keep it cheap in the sense of not having to. If you've got solar mm-hmm. energy supplying it, and then you don't yeah. have a, have to hire a bunch of farmers to go pull pull the weeds you can, I think you can grow cheaply, you can grow food cheaply, that's also healthy food at the same time. And that should be our goal. That should be the government's primary goal. Right now, I think it's probably the most important thing the government could do, would be to take away the subsidies from these toxic farms, and give them to the small family farms that are not using chemicals, give them subsidies. Mm -hmm. And even subsidies Mm -hmm. to allow these farms to convert to organic, because there's a process that can take years to get your soil fixed, so that it's it passes the test for organic, and you don't get, get to call your food organic while you're going through that process. So it's very hard for farmers to convert if they haven't right. been organic in the past. And that, if the government would say, we'll pay for all of those costs to, to convert to organic, that would inspire more farmers to convert. And we need to be doing things like that. The government needs to be taking initiative to do these kinds of things. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: The problems with with our food and farming um, are very similar to the problems with medicine, vaccines and such. There's a lot. Government doesn't like they want to be in control. They love the idea of big ag because it's a big farm. We produce billions of this and it makes all of that and it makes them feel like, OK, we can we've got this. They they don't have control over the individual growing their own little lettuce patches and sprouting on their counters and, and dealing with the neighbors and trading eggs and all of that. They, they can't control that. They don't know anything about it. They can't add it up. And so that's, so government doesn't do that well. They, they like big, they like big things they can monitor and get data and control, but the future of feeding this planet isn't, Mass production, there might be some need for a certain amount of mass production of some products here and there in a limited way. But all of us have to get back to cherishing growing food. Yes. Locally, right.
2: Yeah. It has, and also, of course, cooking, because it's all the processed foods are so convenient and you don't have to waste time in the kitchen. And we've been told mm-hmm. that's good. You know, you have more time to play with your children or, or do your, you know, your office job if you don't have to cook. And we need to, um, and the, you shouldn't be wasting your time cooking. That's the wrong message. We really exactly. have to make it clear. You need to come into the kitchen and cook your food from scratch, you know, really use mm-hmm. the fresh whole, whole foods and things like that.
1: And the, the ritual of cooking, of families getting together to cook, to friends getting together, gathering in the kitchen and making those meals. I mean, we were talking about onions and garlic being a great source of sulfur. And I tell you, one of my favorite things, it gets to be in the evening. My day's work is done. I put the pan on the stove, put a little olive oil in there, begin to saute a little onions and garlic And the smell. It's just, it's so homey and it makes you happy. And you think about preparing food for your family, you know, that whole ritual of nurturing and and down to the basics.
2: I did that just yesterday. I cooked some spaghetti, spaghetti sauce, and I used a jar of organic uh, spaghetti sauce, but then I Mm -hmm. added um, onions and and, and garlic and uh, parsley, chopped parsley and threw all that in there. And it made a delicious uh, spaghetti sauce, but you really want to use herbs as well. Use herbs and spices. They're very Mm -hmm. important after healthy food
1: it's a lost art i think of all the things that we could be should be maybe teaching to to children in our school systems now years ago um our son was in a school that was an alternative education center and it was kind of cool in that they did have an organic garden out that's outside, really great and they had um worm bins they were teaching kids about composting and um and there would be some cooking classes that some parents would have to you know teach that art um and and it's a social it's a social thing and then there's just so many things about how we used to do things the slow way
2: yeah and you know it's it's not it's a pleasant experience to be gathering Mm -hmm. in the kitchen and chopping up the onions you know it's not like it's a a terrible job really it's Mm. it's, it can be fun really you know i find it a good break from all the studies (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah, I, I do, too. I do, too, very much. Yeah. So it's so funny, because this Liberty Hour, we're talking more about the health stuff. We've had quite <laughs> the overlap. So we did some Liberty stuff in the Health Hour, and we're doing some health stuff in the Liberty Hour. So Such we can the talk nature about you know,
2: some other uh, issues with uh, poisons, because there's the whole issue with Syngenta and, and yes. Atrazine with uh, Tyrone Hayes and he's I, I've given seen him give a talk, live well, talk twice. He's really a great guy, Tyrone Hayes. And um, and his So tell
1: us about this then. I'm gonna pull that up and tell us what's going on with this product.
2: Yeah, so this is um so Tyrone Hayes is his name and uh, he, he was a professor and he's he's been studying um, atrazine which is an herbicide just mm-hmm. like glyphosate and it's the second most used herbicide in the United States and possibly in the world, but you know, so glyphosate's number one, atrazine's number two. And he was doing studies on frogs, frog tadpoles exposed to atrazine. And he was finding that remarkable uh, effects on the reproductive system that male frogs, they have a XY genes so and they're male and they developed into functioning females that could actually produce eggs that were viable. They they mm-hmm. developed as females, even though they had the XY gene. Really incredible disruption of their of the development of their sexual sexuality. And so, so he started ta- talking about this. And of course the um Syngenta got really upset about it. And they actually did a whole lot of stuff harassing him. Uh, they would actually send people to his talks and then heckle at the talk. They would just disrupt the talk and ask, you know, nasty questions, trying to say that what he was saying was ridiculous and crazy. You know, And they, and I think they even threatened his wife. I mean, they were really uh, doing nasty things to, and trying to uh, write things about him to sort of say that he's just, um, mm. you know, what he's saying is not true and that he's uh, not credible and all of that sort of thing. So they worked really hard to try to, to discredit him um, because they were very concerned about what he was what he was finding, that he was finding these absolutely horrible things about this this uh, chemical. Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
1: And. So he was studying frogs. Mm -hmm. Have mammals now been studied? I don't
2: know. I'm not actually very familiar with atrazine. I've sort of thought I probably should be looking at that one as well. But I'll tell you, glyphosate's a handful all by itself. So I'm finding that, you know, in between glyphosate and the COVID vaccines, I've got plenty to do. So I'll let him take on the atrazine. But, yeah, I don't know, but I imagine so. There's many different chemical, uh, chemicals that are endocrine disruptors. Plastic is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, and I think we do have a, an assault on our endocrine system, and that's causing a lot of uh, issues in development. Right? Yeah. Very critical, at critical phases of development. Uh, things can really go crazy. I was really surprised that, to see that a, there's a protein, uh, that if, if it's uh, defective, um, a, a male with an XY chromosome Will develop as a female just because this protein doesn't work. So it's not just enough to have that Y gene. It's really quite amazing to me how, how critically development depends upon these proteins working properly. And yeah. then if mm-hmm. chemicals disrupt those particular proteins, you know, all bets are off.
1: So I know you haven't delved into the science on this, but, you know, I'm thinking about this uh, epidemic, as it were, of gender dysphoria happening among human children. And we know that culturally some of this is being encouraged. You know, there's there's a it's multifactorial, you know, what's going on. But could biologically something be happening with these endocrine disruptors that are interfering with.
2: I absolutely oh. think so. I absolutely okay. think so. It, I immediately thought of that endocrine disruptors causing these problems, and it's interesting how much I, I'm actually really surprised at how much more common these problems are. Like transgender mm-hmm. in the twenty-somethings is like uh, something like three or four percent, three percent of the, or even more of the kids yeah. of the people in that generation are transgender. That is a shocking number. It's like right up there with autism. Yep. In my generation, there's practically nobody. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. what's interesting is that there is a correlation between uh, autism yes. and the gender dysphoria. So, I saw that. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, and that's the really same poison, crazy.
2: right? I mean, it's possible that glyphosate is causing both of those. I think.
0: Absolutely, and the fact that over the years we've actually seen a reduction in not only uh, sperm
2: production, uh, right, sperm mammals, counts are way down, more levels. Yeah. Yeah
1: and there's there are other biological changes happening um in men um positioning of things i'm not going to i'm not going to describing it well so i'm not going to do it but um it, it it is very much a concern and so you know what i what i find infuriating in my work going to different um capitals you know out in washington state and in here in in tennessee is you see a willingness of legislators to respond to um, stories of people in need, Um, the Alzheimer's, um, dementia, autism, neurological, developmental disorders, various things going on, throwing money at support for these individuals who have these issues. But zero support, zero money, zero legislation going to... Try to find the causes exactly. of these individuals having these these health issues, the epidemic of all these various health, what's causing it. And when you try to speak about it, of course, the marketing messages, some of the, they used to say that the attorneys were the evil ones, but I really think right now we're we're in marketing war. And I think some of the evilest individuals are the ones who come up with marketing messages to make um, all of us feel if you... If you attempt to go after the cause of a certain medical issue, that you're somehow evil and that you don't I know. Love that. I,
2: I was really surprised by that. Like, you cannot mention the idea that there might be some kind of chemical exposure that's causing transgender. Like, it's a no-no yeah. to say that.
1: I don't understand why that should be, why you shouldn't be allowed to say that, you know? Because you're being marketed against doing that because because to acknowledge that there may be some environmental drivers to it, you're getting into trillion dollar market here, big egg, big chemical, big, you know, pharma. Um, it's a toxic soup. And I'm sure for every child on this planet that it's experiencing neurological issues, gender dysphoria issues, it, it was a different, Toxic soup, perhaps, that, that led to it. Genetic susceptibility. I mean, there's so much going on. But um, there's money in keeping the toxins on the planet. There's money in treating the symptoms. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, we love individuals who've been harmed, just like you love somebody who has cancer, you love somebody who has diabetes. Of course, we love people who have autism, we love people who, you know, have neurological disorders, we love them, we want to support them and help them as much as we can. But we also want to prevent people from having to suffer the way they have suffered. Right. And when, when possible, is it reversible? Is it reversible some of these things? We know I that think it because- is
2: actually autism is i I have met people who had a an autism diagnosis and who had no sign of it. There's a woman who was a, a young woman who's a teen uh, eighteen years old, and she had been diagnosed with autism as a child, and she was perfectly social and fine. she taught she explained to me about it. Her mother put her on an organic diet and her symptoms went away and 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 Zen Hunnecket has a story like that too. One of her mm-hmm. children uh, recovered from his um autistic behaviors. Um, by going organic, Jen is extremely strict about feeding her family-only certified organic yeah. food.
1: Yeah. I know, and if you catch it early enough, I know there's a lot of, um, of wonderful stories of healing and reversal of symptoms. It does seem like the older you get, the more difficult it is to recover, but it's not impossible. Oh, in fact, wasn't it you, Javier, who said last week that we were talking about the adult brain? Mm-hmm. And the adult brain continues to, to heal and grow. And you still have stem cells as an adult, yep, do. right? So healing is possible even as we age. So th- very
2: much a- so. Yeah. I think uh, it was so. only recently that they figured out that the, uh, that the adult brain can in fact grow new neurons, new neurons <laughs> can grow and work their way into the system, which is amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. They, it, it totally 100% is. And, uh, More to the point, um, a lot of the neurological conditions that we're seeing, not only with autism, but Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, they're not they're not due to just accidents. It's because of the toxic soup we live in like Parkinson's is closely associated with the use of uh, um, pesticides.
2: Yes. There's Mm been
0: a strong link associated with it. So, you know,
2: including glyphosate, actually, I remember I think it was. Oh, I'm going to have to back off on that. I don't remember if it was Parkinson's <laughs> or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, one of those two, mm-hmm. where they found um, correlations with lots of different chemicals the farmers were using. And when they corrected for the other chemicals that they were exposed to at the same time, uh, everything got weaker except for glyphosate, which got stronger. What, so that geez. was pretty cool. I don't remember which condition it was. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those two. <laughs> Might have been non-Hodgkin's lymphoma.
0: I think it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Rotenone, which is another um, um, pesticide, that has a very specific target in the, uh, in the stem for Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. So there's multiple pathways that, that are being affected. Absolutely.
1: I was just looking through and seeing if we could find, um, make sure I covered all the the great things that you brought up. Oh, here's something that I would love to share with you all. Um, a couple of things. Let me bring it back to where did it go? I'll start with this. Um, Share this. So you guys are both familiar with with Jack, James Linesweiler, we talked about him earlier, Mm -hmm. and IPAC-EDU. One way that we can attempt to undo this tangled mess we have having to do with bad science being published, science being bought, oversight agencies, is to fund good research Mm -hmm. and and good research um, places to publish it. And so IPAC has a journal, a scientific journal, that is undergoing an amazing facelift. Dr. Peter Mm -hmm. McCullough has now joined in the efforts to create this beautiful journal. It's going to to rival anyone out there. It's going to exceed any out there because it's not going to be corrupt. It's going to be pure and applied science for knowledge's sake. One of the ways in which individuals can help is by taking some of the very affordable classes at IPAC so you will educate yourself so you can make better decisions in your life for yourself and your family and also by taking classes there you can help uh, fund the journal so I want to encourage people to check it out be a lifelong learner go to ipac-edu and see some of the amazing classes that they they have there um, there's something really for everybody. Find a few friends, pick a topic you all like, get together, you know, take a class, prepare a meal together, talk about what you learned, you know. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Um and then the other thing I wanted to share with you about IPAC. Let me see if I can find that here. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find it quickly. I'll share it again next week, but they've got a direct, if you go to um, IPAC, IPAK, IPACknowledge.org, you're going to find a way to give directly to this journal to help keep the funding going. This is, you know, we need to build these parallel systems, right? We need, and we need a place to publish the good science. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, let's talk real quick about the brilliant paper that you helped write with Dr. McCullough (laughs) and others that i've i've got that to pull up you go ahead and start telling lessons me about learned paper. right lessons yes, learned about the it makes
2: yes. Me what happened though that, that, it makes that me was an amazing paper and we uh we had really extensive review i've never had such a thorough review of any paper um we had like eight reviewers um and eight? we had eight reviewers and massive comments back and forth because it, it's a very dynamic this whole um Curious Journal is actually an unusual, have an unusual process of review, and there's a very, they um, they they're po- they're post- they're, they're, they produce all these questions. There were like tons of questions, and we answered every one of them, um, you know, that and, and changed of course according to their suggestions. We had yeah. a massive uh, overhaul, you know, tremendous effort put into that paper. And um,
1: uh, let's read the title to uh, to listeners. It's the title of the paper is COVID nineteen mRNA vaccines, lessons learned from the registrational trials and global vaccination campaign. Um, and so it was Stephanie Senef, Nathaniel Mead, Russ Wolfinger, Jessica Rose, PhD. We've had her on this show too. Um, I'm not reading, can you read that other name? I got to uh, okay, Chris
2: thank you. Yeah, Kristen. Dan uh, Den Barnick, uh Steve Den-Hernick. Kirsch, and, and Peter McCullough. Yeah. It's Excellent. quite a thing. It was mm-hmm. a great experience, and um, and we were very excited and, and curious. Uh, it was a tremendously well-received, huge numbers of readers. Um,
1: 330,000
2: views or readers. It's now like 370,000 views. Wow. It's gone way up, and it's still getting views after it's been retracted. So now it's got this big word over every page, retracted.
3: But you can um, still read people it.
2: People are still reading it. And so uh, yeah, I think it's a record to have that many views on Curious, and they've had a lot of papers published in such a short time
1: and Um, what reason did they give for retracting this um, this peer-reviewed very (laughs) uh,
2: popular paper did they they, give you any reason they don't have the valid reasons and uh, and we're fighting back and um they had several reasons i think it was like seven different reasons and all of them were like we basically don't agree with you that it's toxic and we don't agree with you that they didn't do the 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 main lesson, the main thing we were arguing was that the registrational trials were not adequate, and there was and there was even corruption involved. Yeah, and um, and they basically say no, that's not true. They basically everything we said, it's toxic. No, it's not true. So they're basically just saying, we don't agree with you that what you say here is correct.
0: Yeah,
2: that that's how why they retract it, and there's just no grounds for retracting on the basis of we don't agree with you. We have we have hundreds of references. It's extremely yeah. well referenced. And uh, and and we're just speaking from the science that's been published. And um, there's no reason, in my opinion, whether, why they could have, should have retracted it.
3: Exactly. And, yeah. and
2: we're fighting it. And wow. there was
0: no, in, in the comments that, uh, that were provided, they didn't provide any references to their objections, did they?
2: No, they didn't. And in fact, the um, they were borrowed from a, a playbook because there were these people who were commenting who were obviously pro-industry. Yep. And yep. they basically just copied what they said and said, this is why we're retracting it because these guys said, this is true, which it's not true what they said. So it's kind of a farce really. It's a farce. Yeah. Um, but of course it puts yeah. a black eye on all of us and it's going to help hurt if it normally a retraction will really hurt you in the future publications. And we'll have to see how that goes because I've never had a paper
1: retracted before. Yeah. Well, let, let's just hope that it, it, got read so many times, and it continues to be read that it's only going to propel our movement for honest science forward. So um, I'm going to leave people uh, looking at this toxic legacy, how the weed killer glyphosate is destroying our health and the environment by Stephanie Seneff. You can find it at all booksellers. And um, you know we're down to the last few seconds here. Dr. Seneff, thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure spending two hours on the radio with you.
2: It's been great. And thanks again for having me. And I really appreciate all you're doing to help to get the message out about just the, the, the basic facts of healthy living as a way to forward to have um, to feel good and to not have to spend lots of money on drugs just by virtue of eating well. It's so important. It's such an important message
1: absolutely it certainly is thank you so much and if, if you get new information and you want to come on the show again you know where i am just reach out to me i happy to update uh listeners thank so, yeah thank you and thank you javier wonderful spending time with you as well mm-hmm. sir um you've been listening to the liberty hour on eleven fifty a.m kknw and CHD tv we will see you next week <laughs>
3: Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you.
0: Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life radio and visit the website informedchoice.org. ORG It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to www.informedchoicewa.org today. The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.